Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Well, it's one of our favorite times of year here at Tales to Terrify. That time of year when the darkest, most poisonous ichor of the past year oozes to the surface and gets collected for your enjoyment. That's right, the finalists of this year's Bram Stoker Awards have been announced. And there are some familiar faces in there, too. As usual, the shortlist contains some fantastic reads of all shapes, sizes, and flavors. I'll link to the full list in our show notes in case you'd like to check it out. Of course, there's one category that interests us most. Superior Achievement in Short Fiction The five short story finalists this year are Greg Chapman's The Book of Last Words, The Eight People Who Murdered Me, excerpt from Lucy Westenra's Diary by Gwendolyn Kist, Jess Landry's Bury Me in Tar and Twine, Cindy O'Quinn's Lydia, and A Touch of Madness by Tim Wagner. If you're like me and you haven't had a chance to read them yet, I'm hoping we can remedy that together. Unless you're new to the podcast, you probably know that each year we do our best to feature as many of the finalists' stories as we can get our claws on. And this year is no exception. The actual Stoker Awards happen in mid-April, 
so we've got a little time yet. But keep your eyes and ears peeled in the next month or so. I'll keep you updated, and we'll hopefully be able to share each of these certifiably terrifying tales with you in the lead-up to the event. Speaking of terrifying tales, we've got a pair of our own to share with you, and we're going to dive right in this week. Our first story for the evening is from an author who's been on the podcast quite a few times before, but whom we haven't heard from in a little while. In fact, his story, Log Recording Found in a Dead Man's Gut, was the first I ever recorded for Tales to Terrify. It's our old friend, Rick Kennett. Rick Kennett is a lifelong resident of Melbourne, Australia, where he works in the transport industry and has an interest in cemeteries, ghosts, and all things spooky. He is the author of the novels The Devil in the Deep Blue Sea and Presumed Dead, plus the collections The Dark and What It Said and Thirty Minutes for New Hell. His stories have appeared in many magazines, anthologies, and podcasts. His most recent publication is The Outsider, in The Ghosts and Scholars Book of Mazes by Sarah Press. Children of the Night, join me for Rick Kennett's Burnt, originally published in Aurealis 42, 2009. What the policeman saw. We swung into Norton Street with our lights flashing, but no siren, a standard burglary in progress procedure. As it was, I don't think the guy would have noticed us had Constable Lensky and I pulled into the driveway of number 38 playing tiger rag on trombones. The initial report said the break in had occurred several minutes before, so we would have had plenty of time to gather what he wanted. But the suspect emerged from the house carrying nothing. Young male Caucasian. Medium height, slight build, jeans, t-shirt, short hair all standing up as if he was scared as hell. One hand was clasped to his lower left knee as he shot out the door on a fast limp. It was obvious it wasn't us he was trying to escape from. He came straight at us, straight into our arms, nearly knocked us over. He wasn't a particularly heavy guy. Scrawny, really. Typical druggie. It was a real effort to subdue him. For such a scrawny guy put up a hell of a fight with all the strength of panic fear. He yelled, It's after me! It's after me! the whole time. He kept looking back at the house while he fought with us, but nothing had followed him out the open front door. Finally, we had him down, but not particularly quiet. I had to sit on him with my knee in his back while Lensky cuffed him, then stood and called for backup while I remained on top of the guy. It was then I noticed his leg was bleeding. The lower left leg of his jeans was torn and he was oozing blood. Not spurting, but enough to show he was cut badly. What have you done to your leg? I said. But he just kept up with, it's after me, it's after me. What's after you, I said. I looked towards the house again. And this time, I thought there was something there in the doorway. A sort of greyness against the darkness inside, close down by the floor. For an instant, I thought I smelt smoke. Wood smoke, like the aftermath of a bushfire. Then both the smell and that vague greyness inside the door were gone. After the divvy van took the suspect back to the station, Lensky and I entered the premises. According to the neighbour who'd called in the burglary, the owners of the house were on holiday. 
Jemmy, marks are obvious on the front door jamb. In the front room, items have been gathered together. Video player, DVD player, laser printer, TV lying on its side where it had probably been dropped. There was a splatter of blood about them, mostly on the TV and the floor around it. Dog could have scared him, said Lensky. Anything could have scared him, I said. We're dealing with a druggie who probably sees spiders on every wall. You know, you don't leave a dog locked in the house when you go on holidays. I glanced about the tidy room, the sideboard and bookshelf, the family photos and the mantelpiece bracketing a small blue vase. Not people like this, anyway. And what tore his leg? We searched, but found nothing to account for either the suspect's injury or his fear of something being after him. There was no dog. What the burglar said. Ah, there was a dog. A fucking weird dog. Yeah, okay, so I'd done it. Nothing more to be said about that. I mean, you got a sheet of these things on me already, right? I go way back, you know. I mean, I know what the score is with a job like this. What might happen? You take a chance, like everything else in life. I've been bashed. I've had guns stuck in me face. I've even been bitten by dogs before. Not by fucking weird dogs, okay? Alright, so I got in and I unplugged the electrical stuff. No, no, not the pewter. Too many wires to unplug the pewters. Takes too long. I put the stuff in the middle of the room ready. Yeah, the van was down the road a bit. It's like you found it, right? I mean, there's no one in the house. Give me credit, I think I don't check. Think I got no finesse at all? Okay, okay, so I just lifted the TV off its stand when I hear this growl from somewhere. No, I don't know from where. Maybe up near the mantelpiece. No, I'm not being funny. If it came from anywhere, it came from where all those pictures was. It's the truth. You ask me, I'm telling you. With all the other weird shit happening, why should I make this up? There was nothing up there but pictures of kids and a vase. Come to think of it, one of the pictures might have had a kid holding a dog. No, I'm not trying for a loony play. I'm just telling you, okay? There was this growl, sort of deep and low like a dog goes and is about to bite your fucking leg off. I'll look around, but there's nothing there. I mean, there's nothing there, right? And then all of a sudden, something grabs me leg. I mean, grabs it hard. I drop the TV and then I see it. What did it look like? It looked like... It looked like sticks and pieces of paper all bundled together and twisted into a dog shape like some kid might do in art class. It was pieces of wood all put together anyhow to make a body. Some of it like broken bits of furniture and some like broken bits of tree branches. Sticks jabbing out at angles made the legs and all held together by coils of paper and long strips of wood shavings. Its tail was rolled up cardboard, different coloured like it was from different sorts of boxes and shit. Its ears were scraps of paper with ruled lines and its head just ugly. Just more paper and cardboard scrunched together with sticks over to one side, real ugly, and eyes like balled up sheets of paper, glaring hate, you know. Ah, oh, but the teeth, teeth were real. They dug into me and they were real. Felt it. I tried hitting it with my fists, you know, tried to kick it with my other leg, again and again, but my foot and fist went through, you know, through, like it wasn't there. But the dog was there, big, weird fucking dog, made of wood and paper scrunched together, biting me leg off and growling. I saw it, I heard it, I felt it, I smelt it, yeah, smelt it, like a fire smells after it's out, wood smoky, you know. No, I don't know how I got out. I remember running, remember sticks clicking and paper cracking behind me, but I tell you, I was almost glad to see you lot. Big weird fucking dog. What the homeowner asked. Yes, I know it's a strange thing to ask, but can you do it? You can? Oh, splendid. Because something extremely odd happened the other day and it got me thinking that perhaps I should get the contents checked. Yes, the company went out of business years ago, round about the time they got involved in that pie scandal. So I can hardly ask them. Uh, Yes, it's up on the mantelpiece, so I can get it off to you straight away. 
what the doctor reported. The injury to the knee is not consistent with the bite of a dog. The wounds are deep but irregular and narrow as if made by splinters of some hard material such as wood. Yet close examination shows no traces of such materials within the wounds. What the chemist analysed As cremation remains of this nature tend to be almost exclusively calcium residue from the bones. Here, however, we have found nothing within the urn but carbon, most likely the ash of paper and wood. Uh, What happened to your dog we can only conjecture, but uh, it appears you were swindled. That was Rick Kennett's Burnt, as read by Matt Dovey. Matt Dovey is very tall and very English, and most likely drinking a cup of tea right now. He has a scar on his arm that he can't remember getting, but a terrible darkness floods his mind when he considers it. He now lives in a quiet market town in rural England with his wife and three children. And despite being a writer, he still hasn't found the right words to properly express the delight and joy he finds in this wonderful arrangement. Thank you, Matt. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Our second story this evening comes to us from Klaus Nanestad. Klaus Nanestad is a journalist at the Surf Coast Times in Torquay, Australia. He has previously had his fiction published in Defenestration Magazine, Theme of Absence, 
and Dark Fire magazine. Listen with me, children of the night, to Klaus Nanestad's The Blackbird, first published in Theme of Absence, October 2018. I winked at the old man, although it is difficult to do anything but wink when you only have one eye. We were the only ones occupying the tavern he owned as the early morning fog slowly settled outside. Through the window I could also see that standing on the ledge was the blackbird, staring at me, its yellow eyes full of knowledge. So you can't remember anything? The old man sounded concerned both for me and himself as he was clearly unnerved by my disfigurement. Not since the attack, I replied flatly. So how can I help you? Do you know of anyone called Magnus Eriksson? The blackbird had given me this name, telling me that he was the one who harmed me, who caused my disfigurement. The old man seemed to wince as though trying to remember was painful for him. He had no idea how painful it was for me. Not specifically, though I do know a husband and wife whose surname is Ericsson. They have a couple of children, but I don't know their names. Maybe one of them is Magnus. The blackbird craned its neck as he said this. Why do you want to know? Magnus Ericsson was the one who attacked me, I said plainly. The tavern owner seemed to retreat back into himself a little. Oh, I doubt it's anyone from the Ericsson family. Mr. and Mrs. Erickson are good people. I think one of their sons is in his twenties. I don't know him, but I doubt he'd be too different from his folks. Do you know where they live? I asked, disregarding his judgment about the Ericksons. Why? So I can speak to them. The old man hesitated. He looked at the ceiling as though searching for answers, but found only cobwebs and rotting beams. The house is on the other side of town. It's the two-story weatherboard one just past the docks. I thanked the man for his time, leaving him to contemplate over whether he was right to have given me this information. Outside, the cold was as bitter as my thoughts. It seemed strange that I could harbor so much resentment for a man without even being able to picture his face. The one spot on my face that the cold didn't sting was where my left eye had once been. I raised a hand and felt the skin. The center of the wound was incredibly soft, but surrounding it were wrinkles that felt as hard as leather, particularly along the top of my cheekbone. The doctors had told me it was a miracle I'd survived the gunshot, yet the pain I had felt as they told me this only made me want to die. The town was as deserted as the tavern had been. In a fishing village like this, the only townsfolk up at this time would be the trawlers, and they would have already set off to sea. I began to head to the other side of town where the old man had told me the Ericsons lived, the icy grass crunching beneath my feet as I walked. By my side flew the blackbird, cutting through the fog as it soared gracefully against the breeze. What do you plan to do to Magnus Ericsson when you find him? The blackbird asked me without talking. When I was young I had been taught to turn the other cheek, yet in this instance to do that would be to deform the other side of my face. 
I decided that an eye for an eye was a more suitable proverb. Blackbird seemed to hear my thoughts and flew away. I knew he would return. I was then surprised to look up and see a woman walking through the fog toward me. I decided to walk past her and try to avoid the unpleasant awkwardness of making eye contact, yet she seemed to have different ideas. Where you headed, lad? Her voice was nasally and harsh. I turned, expecting her to flinch at the sight of my wound, but she did no such thing. She had a stern face, made sterner by some deep wrinkles that sat above her brow. I'm looking for Magnus Ericsson, I told her, wondering if she could perhaps verify what the tavern owner had told me. Her brow furrowed even more upon hearing this. And why would that be? I simply shrugged. I didn't want to have to explain my circumstances to every stranger, and particularly not this stranger. Yet my response did not appease the woman, and she took a step closer to me, her eyes boring into mine. After an uncomfortable pause, she turned her head and said, Birds sing, but they never speak. What they croon can often be misunderstood. Then she briefly looked up to the sky. I followed her gaze, but the blackbird was nowhere to be seen. I want to find Magnus, I said firmly. I know what he did to me. But I wonder if you know why. The way she said this made me assume that she knew I didn't. What did it matter, though? I couldn't imagine a reason that justified what Magnus had done. When I didn't give a reply, it was the woman's turn to shrug. Without warning, she reached up toward my wound. I was too surprised to react. Her fingers seemed to pass through the smooth skin of my eye socket. It wasn't painful, simply uncomfortable, but at this stage I dared not move. Slowly, she removed her hand from my scar, revealing a small copper key which she held out for me to take. "'What's it for?' I asked feebly, taking the key from her. "'It's the key to Magnus's bedroom.' "'Why was it in my skull?' "'Because the blackbird put it there,' she answered matter-of-factly. The woman then turned and walked off, the mist slowly engulfing her until she could no longer be seen. The Erickson's household may have once been a nice building, but it was now weather-worn and approaching dilapidation. The property had an old pier that reached out onto the ocean. Through the fog I could see the silhouette of the blackbird perched on the furthest post of the pier. Instinctively I went out to meet it. The ocean was still, as though in slumber. The blackbird stood regally, almost statuesque as it stared through the mist. The eyes of the blackbird looked like they had seen every tide, its feathers as though they had been kissed by every breeze. Did you put the key in my wound? I asked the blackbird. Yes. Why? I needed to put it somewhere where you would see it, and people always look in the places where they have lost things. I turned back to the house, now barely visible through the fog, wondering if I had lost something there. Magnus will be in there, the blackbird told me before flying away. I knew with certainty what I must do next. Looking through its windows, it appeared the house was vacant. There was no furniture, nor any wallpaper or carpeting. But what I could see did not hold as much truth as what the blackbird knew. I knocked firmly on the door. There was no response. I turned the handle, expecting to find the door locked, but was surprised when it obligingly opened. A fine layer of dust covered the floorboards, showing that the house had been empty for some time. 
As I explored the house, I was aware that there were no locks on the doors on this floor, and that I therefore had to venture to the next. The top floor was similarly bare and devoid of life, but the single difference was that one door remained shut. Unsurprisingly, the door had a keyhole that seemed as though it would fit the key the woman had given me. I slotted the key into the latch without even trying the door first. The latch clicked, and I opened the door. Like all the other rooms, it was empty. For some time I stood in the doorway, unsure what to do. I tried to reach the blackbird with my thoughts to ask what was going on, but the only sensation I had was of my wound itching. I rubbed it with the palm of my hand. Deflated, I walked to the far side of the room and sat down, resting my back against the wall. I suddenly felt incredibly tired. I let out a sigh. I rested my cheek upon my left shoulder. As I did so, my eye fell upon a dent in the timber wall just next to me. It was only a small dent, but its presence felt inexplicably large. My wound began to itch again, though more aggressively this time. The sensation it gave was similar to staring without blinking. I rubbed the wound with my palm once more, but this failed to alleviate the sensation. Blink. I wasn't sure if it was the blackbird that had given me this instruction, or if it was just instinct, but I decided to try. I focused on where my left eye had once been, and imagined it was still there. Then, I did it. Not a wink, but a blink. In this moment, my perspective on the room incomprehensibly changed. As it had before, my right eye saw an empty room, but through the scarring where my left eye had been, I could now see another image overlaying this one. In this image, the room was furnished, and there was wallpaper covering the timber. From this perspective, there was a bedside table to my left and peculiarly no dent in the wall. Neither image seemed less real than the other. It was as though each perspective existed simultaneously. Abruptly, through my phantom left eye, I saw a figure walk in through the doorway. After a brief moment's confusion, I realized the figure was me, although with one distinctive difference. He possessed both his eyes. The figure looked in my general direction but didn't seem to notice me, as though I was invisible. I didn't dare move. His face was stricken with pain, though he had no apparent ailments to suggest the pain was physical. I could almost feel his suffering, as though part of me existed within him. His mind was wrought with terror. Something violent possessed him, something that had embedded itself deep within his brain, corrupting all the thoughts it could get its claws on. I was then struck by the realization that I was seeing myself in the past, before I was wounded, before the house was gutted, and before I lost everything but the name of my attacker. The figure then looked in my direction. Time seemed to float frozen as he stood there, looking toward me with both his eyes. I felt an intense discomfort, as though all my insides were screaming out to try and dispel the unrelenting silence. My past was staring at me and all I wanted to do was flee, only I had nothing to flee to. So I remained still. He began to move toward me, a strained look etched deep into his unscarred face. As he got closer, however, I realized he was not approaching me, but the bedside table next to me. Perhaps that was what he had been staring at. He opened the top drawer, and from it pulled a small handgun. Once more the urge to run boiled inside me. 
but it was outmatched by my need to see what happened next. The figure stepped toward me and sat down exactly where I was sitting. Though I felt nothing, it seemed like his body had sunk into my own. Where there were two, there was now only one. I saw the hand holding the gun appear before my face. I did not know whether it was his hand or mine or both. The hand then twisted to point the gun directly where my left eye had once been. I now understood he had decided there was only one way to destroy the poison that had infected his mind. It simply involved destroying himself and me in the process. The gun fired. My whole body tensed in anticipation of an impact. I not only squeezed my right eye shut, but my phantom left eye, too. I stayed this way for a few seconds. Eventually, I realized no bullet had hit me. Not in this moment, at least. I tried to open my eyes, but I found I could now only open the right one. The room was as it had been when I had first entered. I looked to the chip in the wall. I put the tip of my finger in it. It was not a bullet hole. The angle was wrong. It was probably a chip from a fragment of my skull. It was the only remaining sign of what had happened in here, of what had happened in my bedroom in the Erickson household. Magnus Erickson, I whispered. The name tasted like poison. The blackbird had been right. I would find Magnus in this house. I thought I had been prepared for that, but I hadn't been prepared to find that the person who had ruined my life was within me. I slowly got to my feet. The house that had before seemed so empty now seemed to be too full of pain for me to stay any longer. I made my way outside, the icy breeze once again returning to sting my face. I didn't know where to go. I looked to the skies for answers and saw the blackbird flying overhead. I was unsure what to feel toward it. The blackbird had led me where I wanted it to, but that was a place I would rather never have been. Follow me. The blackbird said to me. Its thoughts seemed quieter now, but no less certain. I hesitated for a moment, but soon realized I had nowhere else to go. In finding the truth, I had lost my purpose, and without a purpose to guide me, I only had the blackbird. The blackbird led me away from town, away from the ocean, and into the woods. It glided in front of me without ever looking back. I followed numbly. The only thing I felt was a dull ache, a tiredness I had inflicted upon myself by chasing my own tail. Though we ventured onward for some time, the trees and the earth beneath them all seemed the same, until I saw something in the distance. As we approached it, I saw that the something was a person standing next to a rock. As we got closer yet, I realized that the person was the woman I had met earlier, and that the rock was in fact a tombstone. The woman was holding a shovel, and in front of the tombstone it became clear what she had used it for, as next to the pile of dirt was a rectangular hole. The blackbird perched upon the tombstone, which had only two words inscribed on it, Magnus Erickson. I walked over to the hole, the eyes of the woman and the blackbird both firmly fixed on me. I looked down into the hole to see an open coffin and a lid resting by its side. I hugged my shoulders and shivered. It was painfully cold, but the padded lining of the coffin seemed so warm. I looked back at the woman and the blackbird, and from their eyes I could tell what they wanted me to do. I stepped into the hole and slowly lowered myself into the coffin, 
The woman then climbed down into the hole and, placing her feet on either side of the coffin, grabbed the lid. I nodded to her, and she nodded solemnly back at me, before placing the lid atop the coffin. Everything went dark for me. One eye open or two, I was now in pitch black regardless. I heard the first shovel load of dirt fall upon the coffin, and felt an immense weariness within me. I let out a sigh. Sometimes, rather than recalling memories, it is easier just to bury them. That was Klaus Nanestad's The Blackbird, as read by J.K. Shepler. J.K. Shepler was born in Texas and raised in Northern California, among the rolling hills of the Coast Range and the oaks of the Gold Country. He returned to Texas for secondary and post-secondary education. He attended the University of Houston, and someone decided to give him a Bachelor of Science degree with highest honors in anthropology. He was hyped to pursue a master's degree in experimental archaeology at Exeter, but decided to retire, thus sparing the British from his accents. He is a two-stripe brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu under Tony Torres Aponte, and haunts various local museums where he sometimes contributes to historical exhibitions or simply loiters. He surfs, throws knives, and scratches out some visual art. He is slated to finish some creative projects sometime in this decade, including illustrating a children's book, and if he ever wakes up, a bunch of other stuff. He sometimes sells fine woolen scarves and old ties, and somewhere people buy his t-shirt designs and photographs. He, ahem, rarely pens brief movie reviews which are written in some sort of bizarre dialect at downthemoviehole.blogspot.com. Mr. Shepler has opened for major touring acts in various bands, produced music videos, acted, and has been a general pain in the backside. He is fortunate to be the son of artist-educator parents, and he gives thanks. His parents gave him love and taught him to love learning and to be like the warriors and renaissance men and women of old, artistic, creative, thoughtful, honorable, capable, and well-armed. Thank you, J.K. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Support us on Patreon for access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. Visit patreon.com slash tales to terrify to sign up. Or if PayPal's more your style, you can support us via the link near the bottom of our homepage at talestoterrify.com. And if you've got a minute to spare, we'd love it if you'd pop over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave us a rating or a review. Ratings and reviews are huge to a volunteer-run podcast like ours. It helps us expose more victims, uh, I mean listeners, to our dark influence. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, 
Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we feed the flames of your fear with more Tales to Terrify. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.